what TA does in whatever field it is that, that you're using it, it supports people to be not afraid of the future. Yeah. So slowly, without knowing it, we begin to decide what we want to learn, who we want to learn it from, how much we prefer to pay for it, what we prefer to give up in order to learn. Yeah. So andragogy is much more about adult learning and adults deciding what they want to learn. And one of the things I often ask people in a workshop is, so you've come to the workshop, what is it you want to learn today? I just get 40 or 50 blank faces. This is Three People in Your Head, a podcast about getting the best out of yourself and others. Co-hosted by Matt Taylor and myself, John Fleming. In this episode, we speak with Paul Robinson. Paul is a certified transactional analyst in the educational field of TA and runs with his wife a training company which delivers a range of TA and personal development programs. We discuss transformational learning, the effect that schooling can have on our view of education and other matters such as co-creative TA and the importance of psychological safety in education. So Paul, thank you so much for joining us on Three People in Your Head. Why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and your professional role and how that involves TA? Okay, well, where do I start? I suppose I, I encountered TA about 25 years ago when I was going through a really difficult period, um, a divorce that was pretty horrendous, and the psychologist used TA, and he was great. He convinced me that I was okay. Which now I know more, I can understand why he convinced me that because I wasn't okay at the time. <laughs> um, and it was probably the best thing I ever did to separate and, and bring the kids up in my way. And I got custody of the kids, which wow. was really unusual at the time. Yeah. And they had a, a far better life than they would have done if I'd have been where I was. Right. What's your professional role now in TA? In, in TA, I, I teach TA. Right. I run my own training organisation with my wife, Debbie, who's a TSTA organisational, and we do some things together. We do some things separately. I'm a UCAT Council member as well. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm quite busy. And so what took you from learning about TA going through this tough time to training and then becoming an expert in it? Well, I experienced how it had helped me because I was, you know, I remember the psychologist saying to me after one of the sessions, he said, what are you doing for the next hour? And I said, why? He said, well, it'd be a good idea if you could have another hour. (laughs) (laughs) So I I think I was pretty bad at the time. And it really, it really got me through it because there were times when it was really hard. You know, I'd turn up to see the kids and they they weren't there. I didn't know where they were, which was pretty horrendous to deal with. Yeah. So he really helped me get through the whole process go through the courts, go through social services, get custody of your kids, start a new life. And I thought, well, it helped me, so there must be something in it. Right. So I started doing some training. I did a one-on-one with Trudy Newton, and then I did a foundation program with Giles, Barrow, and Debbie. They did a program together. And then I did some with Anita Mountain and Chris Davidson and some more with Giles and other bits. And... I was actually, my profession's environmental health. I worked for the professional body for 15, 20 years as director of education. Right. So that's where the education link comes in. And so I was responsible for all the qualification and training of EHOs and professional development in the UK. Okay, so you're in the field of education already? Yeah. 
So I did a lot of training, a lot of educational stuff around accrediting university courses that did environmental health, doing assessment processes and examination process to assess professional competence. Yeah. And a lot of training to train examiners and lots of workshops. Yeah. So I started doing some work also with the NHS, consultancy work supporting people to access the public health register, which was a lot of coaching, a lot of mentoring. Right. When I uh, decided I'd had enough travelling to London every day and find a way out. That's a long um, commute. A long commute, yeah. It was, it was five hours a day. Because you're Ipswich-based. Yeah. 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 Wow. So I did that for 15 years. And, well, I woke up one morning and thought, I don't want to do this anymore. So I restructured the organisation and I said I would go. So it, uh, it gave me an opportunity to do some consultancy work, which I did in local authorities in the NHS which was mostly training. Right. And I started doing my CTA in organisational and then decided I didn't want to do all, all the organisational stuff. I enjoyed the training. and I was You enjoyed the work. educational side of it? Yeah. Right. So I did a, an educational CTA and then did my TEW about 18 months afterwards. How long ago was that? The CTA was about, must be about six years ago. Okay, great. Yeah, I did the TEW. What's that, four years ago? Right. And the reason for the doing the CTA was to be able to do a TW and try. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. that's what you enjoy. That's what I love. Um, <laughs> I really enjoy it. And some of the people we've trained and are still training have done amazing things. So, really? And it's fantastic seeing that happen and being part of it. And so what is it for you about TA that you find so compelling? I think it's, it, it's just really it's so helpful in terms of being able to communicate better and get on better with people without having hidden agendas. And it's about being honest, I think, and, and having integrity yeah. and not being scared of right. all the things that I think we are scared of as kids. You know, yeah. we don't want to upset people. We don't want to get into trouble. And we learn not to be who, who we are, really, as kids. And yeah. I think TA helps you find yourself. Yeah, it's very true, actually. That element of being authentic and autonomous, yeah. being who you really are. Yeah, that's, of course, if you ever get to find out who you really are. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Very true. That's the big question. So what is the difference between somebody who would classify themselves as an educator generally and a, a TA educator, especially for our listeners who aren't experts in TA don't necessarily know that much. What would you say is the difference? So I, I think that the major difference is using TA as a teacher. Yeah. Teachers tend to teach. Yeah. Right. <laughs> because teachers are trained to teach children, usually. Yeah. And so even university lecturers go through teacher training or something and they're taught how to teach children. Right. And I think with TA, an educator like myself who uses TA, you treat people as adults. Right. You don't, or at least you shouldn't, I don't think, have a parent-child relationship with yeah. your students. And I think I work with adults. I don't tend to work with children or even teenagers. So it, it's all adult education and, and personal development and support and coaching that I do. And I don't teach. I support people to learn. And I think that's a major difference. And if you go back to John Dewey, 
who was an American a long time ago, 100 years ago, he was very outspoken by telling the educators or the, the government in the States that they should stop deciding what it is to teach children. And what they should do is support children to decide what it is that they wanted to learn and then let them learn it. Um, So that's pretty radical. Yeah, it was very radical. And, you know, he did some work, but he didn't really get anywhere. And then I think in in the 60s and stuff, Carl Rogers did a lot of work. And he, well, I I read Carl Rogers' stuff, and it it was great because I thought somebody else knows about this as well. I was reading Carl Rogers and thinking, yeah, that's what I do. And he supported people to learn in the way that they could learn. And his backstop was that he would tell his students, we'll go through this process. This is what you've got to learn. You set your exams. You assess yourself. I'll come and have tutorials. And if there's any of you that don't want me to teach you, then I'll teach you. A few people would turn up and not do the learning themselves, and he would teach them. And all the others got firsts, and they got thirds. Or being a bit on the edge, but you know the outcomes were far far better with the students that took on their own mantle and decided how to learn. Yeah, and he supported them to learn. Yeah, rather than them being passive right. and learning. So it's a philosophical difference that we're talking about. Because yeah. I'm not trained in education. I know John knows all about this. I'm sure he's got lots to say. But I'm training in the psychotherapy field, and so. For me, it's really fascinating hearing about the principles and the philosophy of learning. What I'm picking up from interviewing other educational experts is that, like you say, it's not about teaching, it's about education and learning and how that works and how that happens. Yeah. The other person is is Knowles, who used this term andragogy. However you want to pronounce it, andragogy, whatever, andragogy, I call it, as opposed to pedagogy. Okay. And teachers learn pedagogy. They learn how to teach children. Right. And what Knowles talked about was that as we grow up, we begin as adults to decide what it is that we want to learn. Yeah. And we don't notice it because when we get to 16, we want to drive a car. And when we're a bit earlier, we're at school, we want to, we want to learn to play badminton or tennis yeah. or football, and we decide to go and get some coaching. Yeah. And when we leave university and we get a job, we decide we want to be whatever it is as a profession, yeah. and we decide where we want to go and learn. Yeah. So slowly, without knowing it, we begin to decide what we want to learn, who we want to learn it from, how much we prefer to pay for it, what we prefer to give up in order to learn. Yeah. So andragogy is much more about adult learning and adults deciding what they want to learn. And one of the things I often ask people in a workshop is, so you've come to the workshop, what is it you want to learn today? I just get 40 or 50 blank faces. They've no idea what they want to learn. <laughs> They've come to the <laughs> workshop because they like the title or it's the best one in the three or four that are available. You know? Very few people come to a workshop or a training program thinking, oh, that's what I want to learn. Fascinating. I think I really resonate with that because I think that I didn't actually start to learn anything. There's a lot of discounting in that sentence, but I'm I'm being a bit dramatic. Until I started learning TA, because when I started learning TA, I chose that it was something I wanted to do. It was something I was paying for. There was a huge 
impact on my life because I was flying from Ireland to the UK, which meant I was giving up my weekends and not being with my friends. And, and it was a real passion. But most of my schooling up until that point was done on to me. And I just remember always saying to my parents, my whole way through schooling, going, I hate this. I don't want to go. It's so boring. It's not helpful. And it was because it was all this done on to. So it really resonates with me about choice. Choice seems really important that the learner chooses to learn and what to learn. Yeah. I've got an interesting story if you've got a minute. Yeah, go for because it. When I was doing some, um, some training with Giles Barrow, one of the things we did, Giles got us to, to bring some photographs of us as kids. Yeah? And we sort of went back and told people what, what it was like at school. And as I was doing that, I had this memory flash that I'd completely forgotten. And I was back in the schoolroom when I was five. And I could read and write and do sums before I went to school. So I was five. We moved into a new class. We got these cards with sums on them. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. And, and I just got one and did it and said, please, miss, I finished. And it was, it was dead easy. And she said, don't tell lies. And I said, but, but I've done it. And, uh, well, don't tell lies. Get them done and tell me when you've done them. So I thought, okay, I'll just, I'll check it. And I'll check them. They're all right. I said, I've finished, miss. And she said, if you tell me lies again, I'll send you to the headmaster. And I remember, I'd completely forgotten, and I remember because I was back there, I remember wow. thinking, she's stupid. All teachers must be stupid. Right. Child decision, yeah. Yeah. And it was only then that I went back and realised I used to get told off in school for daydreaming. What I was doing was actually working out and reflecting on whether what the teacher was telling me was correct and whether I could believe it or not. So wow. I, spent, I spent my life thinking teachers were stupid. And you, you guys know TA. So when I eventually found a teacher that wasn't stupid, I changed my frame of reference to one teacher's not stupid, the rest are. <laughs> and then when I came across another one, it changed my frame of reference. Well, there are a few teachers that are stupid. Yeah. And yeah. I end up as a teacher. Amazing. <laughs> It's amazing how a pivotal moment like that at that young age can make such a dramatic difference to the course of someone's life. Yeah. And of course, with TA, if you're an educator, I would never tell somebody that they're stupid. <laughs> yeah. You know, because there's no such thing as a stupid question, which is always yeah. one of my contracts. Because if anybody's got a question and they think it's stupid, at least half the other people in the, in the workshop are thinking the same thing. Yeah. yeah. And I loved some of the things that you shared in your uh, form that we send out to all of our guests, where you talked about helping people to reach their potential. You know, it's one of the things I love about TA is that foundationally, we're all okay. And I always have believed that you can pretty much learn anything if you're in the right environment, as long as you've got the basic framework that you need in terms of biologically, we have this amazing capacity as individuals to learn. And I love that when you shared that helping people to achieve their potential. Very inspiring. And I think one of, one of the problems is that because we are schools and we are forced to adapt at school, because yeah. we, don't, we don't really have a choice because we get punished if we don't adapt. Mm. When we are adults and we go into a training room, you've got a job, you get sent on a seminar, how many people want to be in the room? Yeah. Not many. And partly that's because they've reverted to their script, their schooling script. So they've become passive and passive-aggressive. And 
they don't really want to be there. They want to be somewhere else. They're thinking about last night's football match, where they're going for dinner tonight, and they're not really paying any attention. And it comes because we adapted and we didn't want to be there. Most people, anyway. Yeah. And I think that really gets in the way of adults learning. We have to unlearn how to learn before we can learn. Yeah, I agree with that. I came across a quote a few years ago that I just, it really resonated deeply with me, particularly around education. And it was just around the same time that I began studying educational TA. So of course, I was really thinking an awful lot about my own experience. And it just says, and you can apply this to lots of aspects of life, but I think it's really relevant for education, which is that maybe the journey isn't so much about becoming anything maybe it's about unbecoming everything that isn't really you yeah and i think that's so true for a lot of people maybe not for everyone of schooling it was definitely my experience it sounds very much like yours as well but albeit some of the factors differently that it just you know it creates all of these sort of limiting beliefs and also it leaves a bad taste i mean i I remember for a long time thinking i'll never go to university because i just won't be able for it And really, one part of me deeply knowing I am able for it, but not being able to figure out why I have this belief that I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. John's been in a seminar today with Graham Summers. And, you know, I know Graham well. And I remember Graham saying to me that because he didn't really do anything at school and he did follow TA and become a psychologist and things. And and he was saying, I can't believe I've written a book. (laughs) (laughs) I've done anything with Keith and written the TAJ articles. It's like unbelievable. It's not possible. Fantastic. We get these, well, these script beliefs, don't we? Yeah. We get given these injunctions and we take them on board or we decide for ourselves. Yeah. And and we get stuck. Unless we find a good teacher or a good mentor or somebody who who supports us. Yeah. Yeah. Or we do TA. And one of the things you talked about in um, your document you shared you talked about this element of co-creative ta or co-creative yeah. education do you want to tell us a little bit about that so co-creative ta is about three or four things one is about being present centered and being in the moment being aware of what's going on and not just externally but being aware of your internal processes okay so that's like adult ego state yeah it's more like Keith Tudor's integrating adult okay yeah yeah. So you're connected, you're in contact with your parent and child ego states and you know right. what's going on and it means you can choose. Right. Yeah. It's also about weeness. So it's not about autonomy, it's about being in relationship. Right. It's about shared responsibility. So we are only responsible for ourselves and other people are responsible for themselves and we could actually help one another. So it's about sharing responsibility and we were talking about teachers and teachers don't generally share the responsibility for learning right. and students don't necessarily share that responsibility they expect the teacher to know what to teach them and to teach them and they will be passive and, and take it on board yeah except they forget it so it's about sharing the responsibility and not equally because if a student tells you what they want to learn then you take the responsibility to teach them yeah, yeah. And those are the three tenets that Graham and Keith have talked about. And I've added a, a fourth one. Excellent. Which is Carl Rogers' stuff, which is positive mutual regard or unconditional mutual regard or unconditional positive regard. Yeah? yeah. Whichever way you want to frame it. It's about treating yourself with positive regard because often we don't. 
yeah. as well as treating other people with positive regard and not conditional. Yeah. And that if you think about your TA, if we treat ourselves and other people with unconditional positive regard, then we are okay and they're okay and the world's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't play games and yeah. we don't run rackets and, and we can be authentic. And so you create an environment where learning then, I guess, in terms of your state, learning becomes much easier. Yeah, I think learning, one of the things I've done with the people that I've been supporting to learn, we did some research with them and asked them, what was it that's enabled them to do the sorts of things that you two are talking about, be passionate about learning TA and putting it into practice and doing it for themselves? And what they kept coming back to was the environment. They felt safe. They never felt criticised. They never felt people were trying to get one up. And it was okay to be vulnerable. And when people were vulnerable in the room, in the training room, in the workshops and the seminars, it's not me that gives the support. I mean, I, I will give it, but other people give it as well. Yeah. So it's that sort of feeling of belonging and being safe Yeah. that I think really comes through. Yeah, and we've all been there, haven't we, in an environment where you've got a question and somebody's teaching and there's that moment, am I going to sound stupid? Am I going to look like a forward by asking this question? Yeah. yeah. Do I open my mouth and people know I'm in here? Do, do I keep my mouth shut and nobody knows? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that environment's so important, isn't it? That safety. So the stuff I do is mostly about personal development using TA yeah. and it's about supporting people to change. When you say personal development, how do you define that? Because one of the things that we're really interested in as well in the podcast is this distinction between educational and organizational, because there's coaches in both fields and then there's counseling as well. The counseling field deal with the adult ego state. And then, you know, obviously psychotherapy is much more based in the history and the child ego state. So what is it that defines a TA education and the personal development coaching? I guess your wife being an organizational TSTA. Yeah. Helps yeah. you with that distinction. <laughs> well, okay. So if I, if I go back to what Burns started, Burns' desire was to generate the one-session cure. Right. Yeah? That's what he decided to do. And he used to do it in a minute. He used to assess people in a minute. He developed TA and wrote about it with this one-session cure in mind. And the way that I think he saw that was that in one session he would enable people to feel safe enough to learn about themselves and change. Right. And I think, you know, I think psychotherapy does that. And educational TA, you do that. In counselling, you do that. Yeah, you support people to change, to develop and do things they're not sure how to do. In an organisational context, you support people and organisations to change. Yeah. You know, I've done loads of, of organisational change in my career, um, supporting huge organisations to change the culture. And it's about providing people with that support and not being scared, you know. In organisational change, people resist change because they don't know what's going to happen. Right. So like with script, they'd rather stay and face a bloody awful day every day yeah, and put up with it and get paid and mourn about it than go with an organisational change where they might, they might just be better off and they might enjoy work, but actually it's the unknown. Mm. So I think what TA does in whatever field it is that 
that you're using it, it supports people to be not afraid of the future. Yeah. And to rely on people's own power and potency, you know, using the winner's triangle, to hear people who are listening will know about the winner's triangle and to be, to be vulnerable, to be resourceful and to be powerful. Yeah. And if people could do that, what a wonderful place the world would be. Yeah. Yeah. Instead yeah. of playing games and, you know, like some of the silly stuff going on at the moment between the UK and, and the rest of Europe, you know, jockeying for position instead of just saying, come on, guys, how can we work together? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because as you talk, there's a lot of the theme that's threading through is there's a lot of fear in us, isn't there, when it comes to learning, a lot of fear about the uncertainty and providing that encounter with safety. Yeah, I suppose that's that's what we get from TA. We we learn that when we had no power and we're totally dependent on big people, we had to adapt because it was scary if we didn't. Yeah. One of my other things that I might have mentioned is I'm a sci-fi fan. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I love Star Trek. A quote from Data, the android, yeah. who was saying in one of the episodes to it, he was supporting a kid and talking to a kid, and the, and the kid said, what was it like when you were a kid? And he said, I, I wasn't. And he said, but I can't understand what it's like for you. He said, because every day the length of your legs changes and you don't fall over. So we grow up so slowly, we don't realise how how a differential changes. Yeah. And we get stuck with it because it's so embedded, because we can't remember the decisions we made. Yeah. Yeah. So true, that word stuck. Stuck. We get stuck with so much, don't we? And we don't know about it because it's in our unconscious. Yeah, often we ask people in the podcast their favourite bits of theory. Is there anything that you find you're always bringing to the table yeah, I think the other one is Jack Mesiro, Transformation Change. He's not a TA author. He was a, an educator. Yeah. Um, and he may have been a psychologist as well, but he was certainly an educator. And he's still writing. And he's got a 10-point plan for transformational change. Interesting. Which is based on transformational learning. Okay. So it's about transformational learning that enables the transformational change to happen. And the start of that process is, is what he calls a disconcerting dilemma. Right. And when people, we get stuck, we notice this dilemma that, oh, we're stuck again. And then very often we just go back and follow our old pattern because it's safe, it's predictable. Yeah. And the first start of that transformation change is noticing that actually, maybe I, I won't go back to work and mourn. Maybe I'll go to work and enjoy myself. Yeah. Uh, or maybe I'll resign and get myself another job. Or yeah. maybe I'll do something different. And he explains the step-by-step process of how people can learn to learn differently and change. And he did some research in the, I think that was the 60s as well, the 70s, with women returners to work in the States. Yeah. And, and he did some research to find out what made the difference for the ones that succeeded in getting back into the profession in the same role as opposed to women who came back to work or never got back to work or had a profession and then ended up stacking shelves in wherever or doing a, a, a job that wasn't professional. Yeah. And there's a whole book on it, at least. It's should... a really, really good process. Fantastic. John and I, we love TA. We think it's an incredible map, as it's been described, of how humans work, individuals, how we work together, 
organizations, how we learn. And yet, so few people know about it. I live in Cambridge, you know, a very academic place, and hardly anyone has heard about it. And organizational people sometimes have done a bit of training in it. Why do you think that is the case? Or maybe it's different in your perspective. I think TA is really simple. You use the PAC model, you do some contracting, you learn the drama triangle and a bit about script. And it all works. And actually, that's just the surface and it gets complicated after that. And I think there's lots, you know, in organisations where I've worked in, training has included PACs and basic transactions. Yeah. Lots of psychotherapists, non-TA psychotherapists do it, counsellors do it. Yeah. They use it in a lot of education. You know, teachers use it. They come across it in the teacher training. Yeah. And it's really good as a basic introduction and to use it, and it comes in useful. Yeah. But then it gets complicated. And I think the books, I've got a shelf of TA books, though, and I've read about the first 10 pages in each of them. <laughs> You're my twin, Paul. <laughs> I have all the books, but I haven't read any of them. <laughs> yeah, I've got to confess, I, I don't necessarily finish them all. Yeah, it's really hard work. And, you know, when, when we refer to some of our students and trainees, we say, go and read this TAJA article or Elliot Fox article. That's a good one. Yeah. And they come back with a nail through the head, an arrow through the head. <laughs> oh, I can't take it anymore. <laughs> I, got, right. I, I read it three times and I still don't understand it. Right. Because it's very, very theoretical and academic. It's not very practical. Right. And I think a lot of people just, they can't take it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> they go yes. to sleep. <laughs> so on one level, it's quite simple and accessible. Yeah. And then you dig a little deeper and it gets quite theoretical and yeah. academic. And I don't think we as TA practitioners and the TA organisations actually promote it. Yeah. I think TA practitioners are very inward looking. And well, I suppose... I shouldn't really say this, but, you know, if too many people get to know about it, we won't have a job. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Yeah. Yeah, it's your your edge over the competition. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. And what about the myths of TA? I guess we've kind of covered that, haven't we, in some senses? I often get asked, how do you do your magic? What's the secret of your magic? Because... I've been going to therapy for three years and we've had two sessions and, and I've got more out of two sessions than I did from three years therapy. Well, it's not magic. It's just about listening to you and being in that relationship, you know, getting into that and picking up transferences. And that's one of the things of co-creative TA is to use the co-creative diamond and notice the partial transferential transactions and be curious about it, not know the answer. And I think that's what a lot of TA practitioners, unfortunately, think that they do a diagnosis and they know the answer and actually they don't it's the client that knows the answer yeah yeah i think that gets in the way and it, i think it's quite sad that we don't promote ta and its benefits more widely to the public yeah, yeah. and interestingly that's one of u carter's new strategies is it yeah great so u carter's 2020 strategy or for the for the next few years is to really get out there and put TA into the public view. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, a lot of lives changed. Yeah. That's one of the reasons why we started this podcast because, you know, we both had a desire to promote TA and it's great to hear that national 
and international associations are also beginning to what I kind of symbolically see as a turning around. You said inward looking. In my head, it's like we're all standing in a circle, but looking inwards and maybe now we're just starting to rotate and actually realize there's all of these people in this world out here that we should be engaging with instead of necessarily always engaging with each other. And that wasn't, that wasn't, I wasn't knocking therapists or anything there. It was just, you know, just my experience of, of yeah. sometimes yeah. Um, that people, you know, can make a breakthrough quite quickly, you know, with yeah. the right environment. Yeah. yeah. What's well, got stimulated in me, Paul, is this bit around co-creative. We were talking about earlier about schooling and about how I said that I felt like it was done on to me. But mm-hmm. what really clicked with me then when you were talking about organizations and change is that that's also how people then feel in organizations when change is introduced. They feel done on to. So the real key bit in co-creative TA, of course, is that we're going to do this together. That's uh, right. They're part of the process of yeah. initiating the change, doing change. And that spans across education and organizations you know because if you think of learning as a change taking place it's the same thing yeah from the management perspective organizational management and leadership perspective the successful organizations continue to change at a relatively slow pace if that makes sense they don't go through crises yeah and what they do is that they take the employees with them they involve them in the process Yeah. yeah Not like some organisations who set wonderful objectives. And this is our new song and we'll sing it when we come through the doors in the morning and we're all wonderful and we're fantastic employees and all that sort of stuff. It doesn't work because they then get into a crisis and and they have to do things they don't want to do. So I think that, you know, you think about lots of the good organisations and they take their employees with them. The employees enjoy going to work. Yeah. Yeah. And feel like they've got something to contribute. I was just thinking the comparisons you can draw between organizations and schools, because definitely in Ireland, I've seen schools who do the whole thing of, we paint the school, we're going to get a new school crest, we're going to change the uniform, there's a new principal coming in, you know, our head teacher, if you're from the UK, and you know, that's going to solve all the problems. <laughs> but it's, you know, they never ask the students what the students no. want. And the, a new uniform is meant to be the consolation prize. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look a tiny bit cooler. Yeah. Paul, are you working on any exciting projects at the moment? Well, we've got our residentials in France coming up in October, which we do every year. So we, we have two weekends residential in France with whoever wants to come. And what's that um, about? That is being immersed in TA for a weekend in a community. This year, it's two weekends on script. We've got people from Russia, Helsinki, France, UK. Siberia Brilliant. Um, and all different fields. So that's one we do every year. We're running a co-creative TA program in Kiev at the minute. They specifically wanted to learn about co-creative TA and how do you use that in the different fields. And me and my PTSD colleagues were running a co-creative TA program summer school for the Swedish Association in May. And because of COVID, we've had to change it to next year some really nice projects going on and wonderfully international yeah brilliant i've got uh, the eastern bloc and russia they're lovely people and we do loads of work over in in st petersburg with them and they're just brilliant people sounds great before we close out the podcast is there anything else that you'd like to share anything that we haven't discussed as yet on friday i think this week 
Graham and Tudor get their own further award for yeah. co-creative TA, which is fantastic because yeah. I know parts of the TA world did not appreciate some of the articles and things that Graham and Keith said early on. And it's fantastic that the TA world has come round to accepting and taking co-creative TA on board. It's just phenomenal that they've got the award. I don't know if it's ever been done jointly before as well. So it's we're all going to join the ITAA on, on Friday online and celebrate that with them. And uh, they are both fantastic blogs. They really do embody co-creative TA. Mm. And of course, it's so significant, Paul, that it was two of them that did it jointly, given what it is. It's true. There's so much significance and symbolism in that. Yeah. Yeah. That's just a testament, I think, to how how good co-creative TA can be. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I think the sad thing is that it's other than, I think, what I've written, nobody else has written anything about it. And it is applied so well into the other fields. And it would be great to have a TAJ edition on application of, of co-creative TA yeah. you know, in different fields. I think that would be phenomenal. Yeah. We're going to have uh, Keith and, and Graham on to do an episode on here together. On co-creative TA will be part of our special edition series. We look forward to that coming up in the future as well. Yeah, maybe we we'll start teaching it on the, the RTEs as yeah. well. would be really helpful because I'm amazed often when I do a workshop and how many people don't know about it. I mentioned integrating adults and they've no idea what I'm talking about. Yeah. Oh, it's interesting because as a student, I've come across it a number of times. You know, I'm connected with Giles, who's very passionate yeah. about that. It's fascinating, Dan, the Ipswich direction. You've got a little powerhouse of TEA education yeah. and eco now as well. It's like a triad there. It's like the fertile yeah. crescent of educational TA in, <laughs> in the UK. Yeah. Excellent. Well, Paul, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate your time. If people wanted to connect with you, find out more about you, do you have a website and email address? Well, we have a very ancient website, which is not worth looking at. Um, <laughs> but yeah, if anybody wants to get any info from us, then it's boardsypoll at gmail.com. Yeah. We'll put that in the show notes. Yeah, great. Yeah, we, I don't advertise anything. <laughs> <laughs> hey. I, I enjoy the rest of my life too much. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. We really, really appreciate your time. I really enjoyed it. It's been enjoyable and it's always nice to have a laugh. Yeah, absolutely. No problem. As always, if you found anything in today's episode interesting, please feel free to reach out. If you would like some more information on TA or you'd like to see some TA resources, then head over to our website, transactionalanalysispodcast.com. You can also connect with us on all major platforms such as Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn. You can also email us at threepeopleinyourhead at gmail.com using the number three rather than the word. And if you haven't already, please follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and we would be really grateful if you could leave us a review. Thanks for listening.